Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. We are joined by Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, there's a lot to talk about, a number of places where I could start. But first off, how are you doing, Aaron, and how is your life right now? It's great, buddy. Thanks for having me back on. I mean, it might not be as beautiful as the pictures that you like to post from your uh, your cabin up in the great state of Wisconsin, but it's been uh, it's been a good camp. It's good to be back with the guys. Um, you know, it, it's camp is way way different. Many older guys would probably say easier than it used to be. So it's been uh, it's been a nice uh, nice camp for us and. One more preseason game, and then things start picking up. Aaron Rodgers, my guest, my guy. I appreciate you saying that. From one California native to another, we can talk Wisconsin, which is always a blast. Let me ask you this, Aaron. Matt LaFleur had asked you to break the team down after the first day of practice, and the story goes that your message was about a positive mindset, how special it was to be back, and about embracing the journey. Why was that something that you wanted to share at the very start? Well, I think, you know, some of the – the themes that I like to talk about are, are very similar. It's the things that I that I research and am into and study on and meditate on. You know, the idea of a positive mindset and embracing uh, the present, uh, but also understanding you're on a journey. So, you know, those are kind of themes that, that I like to, to talk to the guys about. The other part was really important to me, and, and you know, to be away from the team for the entire offseason um, was obviously new for me and different. I just wanted the guys to know how special it was to be back with them, how you know thankful and grateful I was to be there with them, and to just reiterate to them my commitment. Um, you know, was a hundred percent, is a hundred percent to uh, the team, to my role as leader on the football team, and meant to this season. So you know, it was good. You know, when I, I was, it was kind of weird. It was like the first day of. You know, a, a new school almost when I walked in, even though I've you know been been here for 16 years. Just those those nerves you get, those butterflies walking back into the stadium. But it was uh, I saw a couple of my favorite teammates right away. Preston Smith, I think, was in here, and Lucas Patrick, and I felt pretty at ease after hugging those guys and and uh, and starting to kind of get into the routine. Aaron Rodgers is my guest. I've made no secret of this, Aaron. I'm I'm really fascinated, very interested, very intrigued by all the work that you've done off of the field, and I'm curious about that. I'm going to ask you about that, but when you talk about your teammates, something else that I think is very clear is the love that you have for the relationships that you have on that team, and not just with your offensive linemen, not just with your wide receivers. It's with all sorts of guys, like guys like Bronson, Oren, and others. Why are those relationships so important to you? Well, I appreciate you asking that question. I think it's 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 fun to kind of talk philosophy of leadership. And one thing that's very important to me is is the way you treat people. Uh, in a position of leadership, people are always watching. They're always going to see uh, how you go about your business and how you treat certain people. Um, as a leader, you understand that different people have different buttons of inspiration that you can help push to get them uh, to be more comfortable, to give more of themselves, uh, to show what they're all about, um, but as a, as a leader, I think it's important that you show respect and kindness to everybody, not just the Devontae Adams of the world and the Zadarius Smiths, but you know, Orrin is my locker mate. He's a, just a super super guy. You know, he's uh, he's fun to be around, and unfortunately, we got these terrible plexiglass things between us, but. Uh, you know, we've had some good conversations over the last couple of years. And Bronson is one of those camp guys who kind of catches your eye. He is such a positive guy. I mean, I think he, every second of the day, it seems like, has a smile on his face. And I just love highlighting those guys because they're not always going to get the most pub. But they're they're the type of glue guys for uh, the beginning of a foundation of culture that are so important uh, in camp settings where you can lean on a guy like Bronson whether you tell him or not, which probably you won't, but just like being able to look over him and and like just kind of tap into that happiness that he has on a daily basis is is just a special thing to do. I know guys are looking at me for you know energy or enthusiasm or resolve or whatever it might be, and it's nice to have you know guys like that or you can draw your own inspiration from. And I just feel like it's important to you know treat those guys as if they are the Devontae Adams of the team because. That, that, to me, is, is what true leadership is all about. Aaron Rodgers on leadership and joining us. So, Aaron, if somebody listening right now is thinking, and, and I'm one of these people, 
But if somebody's thinking, you know, man, I want some of what Aaron has in terms of that peace of mind and that ability to remain present, is there a book or two or a tactic that's been especially helpful for you, especially when things are challenging? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things that you can do. I mean, I, I enjoy going to Barnes & Noble or a local bookstore and, and going in some of those self-help sections and seeing what some of the new books are. That's not a terrible place to start. For me, I've been meditating for about a decade with regularity now, and it wasn't until this off season that I came upon Transcendental Meditation. Um, and I think the reason I mention this is because for a long time in my meditations, I've struggled with the idea of a quiet mind and almost uh, having some, some negative self-talk uh, if I couldn't quiet my mind in certain situations. What I learned in uh, TM is just a reminder that you have fifty to 70,000 thoughts on a daily basis. So instead of trying to clear your mind, and if you can't be you know, down on yourself for not you know, being able to meditate the right way, we, you know, in, in that practice, you embrace the, uh, the, the thoughts. You embrace the images in your mind, and the more you embrace those, the more they actually dissolve, and you're able to, to relax in the meditation even more. So, so learning TM this off-season has been a really you know, important part of, uh, of continuing to calm my mind and, and my heart rate uh, in moments where I need clarity or, or moments of uh, heightened uh, uh, you know, testosterone or whatever it might be where I need to just relax a little bit and calm down. Um, so researching ideas of meditation I think is a really good place to start. We don't take time, I think, in our daily lives to just pause and do nothing. It's look at your phone or maybe binge a TV show. There's, we need, I would just advise to embrace the silence a little bit more and, and, and to help turn your brain off. It doesn't have to be, you know, transcendental meditation or even, uh, you know, some other, you know, fad, meditation fad. It can just be, you know, listening to an instrumental song or reading a book or doing something where you're, you know, enjoying the, the silence, uh, which I don't think many people do on a daily basis. I appreciate that. Aaron Rodgers joining us. I could keep that up. I could have that conversation about life and mindset and never get to football. But before I let you go, why don't we talk a little bit of football also? You've gone to the NFC Championship game each of the last two seasons, Aaron. How does this current team, in your mind, compare to the two that have come before it? Well, it's different for sure. You know, we have a new defensive coordinator. Um, I think you're going to see different players having opportunities that maybe haven't in the last couple of years based on the scheme that, that they're playing. Um, offensively, it's a deep receiver room, which we've had some, some good ones over the years. Uh, this one is one of the best that we've had. It helps a lot having Randall Cobb come back, giving you a legit slot player. But I think if you look at this camp compared to last camp, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard have really had fantastic camps. Now, last year they were in the top four for sure during training camp. But like I told Quez at lunch the other day, I said he's in the we don't worry about you anymore category with him and Devontae Adams, where it's like they <clears throat> Tay is in a you know league of his own, but, but Marquez has become such a professional uh, with his practice habits. I just I give him so much credit for really, truly becoming a pro and mastering his craft. I'm very, very proud of him. Alan Lazard has had a fantastic camp. And I'll say this, Jim, what's interesting to me about both those guys is over the last couple of years, I've seen more growth in them off the field. I'm talking about habits and mindsets and uh, meditation and the things they're thinking about. I mean, Marquez hit me up in, in first day of camp. He said, hey, uh, I want to start reading more. Can you give me some books? I'm like, yeah, it's the best thing you can ask me to do. So I went to you know, Barnes and Noble and, and got them some, a little starter pack that I thought was pretty good. And, um, it, but it's the way that they've approached their off the field training, not just physically, but mentally that allows them to be so calm and composed and comfortable on the field. Uh, I'm just so, so proud of those two guys. Obviously I love having Randall back and, um, and the young kid from, uh, from Clemson, uh, Amari has, has done a nice job but I, I really like those those receivers that we got. Aaron Rodgers joining me for a few more moments. Aaron, in terms of Devontae, a few weeks back, you and he both happened to post the same image from the last dance in your Instagram stories. Aaron, are you approaching this like it might be your last season in Green Bay? What is your approach? Yeah, I definitely am, but I did last year too, Jim. Um, I really felt like I was looking for some sort of sign that it wouldn't be my last season in Green Bay after um, – uh, you know, after the draft, uh, 
felt great about the way I played. Didn't feel like there was any uh, kind of commitment past the 2021 season. So obviously went through the whole off season, and I've talked at length about that. But I think in order for me mentally to wrap my head around this season and the journey and the and the focus it's going to take, I feel like I have to have that perspective. And this isn't some uh, you know ultimatum or you know major statement I'm making. Uh, it's just the perspective that I need personally to to put myself in the best frame of mind to be able to lead the right way. Um, because I think with any great journey, you have to have uh, gratitude for the moments that make the journey special. And some of those moments are tied into the uniqueness of Green Bay, the uniqueness of being uh, a 17th year pro and the opportunities that that presents from a leadership standpoint. So I really feel like that's what puts me in the best frame of mind if I focus on how special this year is with no guarantees after next year. And, you know, I did last year and had obviously a lot of success, and and that's what I'll be doing this year again. Sarah and I got about 90 seconds. I want to ask you this really quickly. Jordan Love missed last week with that right shoulder injury. He's talked about your relationship is, quote, kind of like the master and the Padawan kind of thing. I'm curious, how would you describe that relationship? Uh, Yoda and Luke Skywalker. There you go. No, there I'm you not go. Sure. It seems more like Starsky and Hutch sometimes, but um, <laughs> but it's been it's been good. You know, I really really enjoy being around him, and uh, you know he's a, he's a good kid. He's a really nice kid, and he asked uh, asked some good questions. He's progressed and gotten better. Uh, bummed for him, but hopeful that he'll be able to come back. I think he practiced. Uh, he did practice today. I think he did just about everything. So it'd be. It'd be great for him to be able to play this week against Buffalo and and uh, get some more action in. But it, it's been it's been really good. You know, we had conversations during the off season. Everything's going on, and and I'm I'm glad that I'm back and get to have another season with him. He is a Super Bowl champ, a Super Bowl MVP, a three time NFL MVP. You know the stats. Good friend of the program. And the Packers are going to open up at New Orleans on September 12th. He is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, I appreciate the relationship. I appreciate the conversation. As always, thank you so much for doing that. Always a blast. You're the best, Jim. Thanks for that jungle karma, man. I need it. So the unknown came in 2020, and it changed the workplace forever, right? Some of us are getting back to the office, but some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed, and so is the future of seating. X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now, X-Chair's newest innovation, the LMAX temperature regulation will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your lower back. Crazy, right? Are you feeling stressed from too many Zoom calls? Then turn on the LMAX massage therapy and relax. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in class with incredibly responsive low back support. Now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You will not believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you are working. Do this. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X chairrome.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and save $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com right now. Use the code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel Blade Casters. xchairrome.com I did not think that I was going to have to be saying this in late August, but I guess I have to say this. COVID is real. It is real. And it is serious. I didn't think that I would have to say that in August of 2020, let alone in late August of 2021. And saying that should not be a controversial statement or something that anybody takes issue with. Not after more than 630,000 Americans have died from it. COVID is real. So are COVID protocols. So why am I getting to this now or getting into it now? Well, the reason I'm saying this now is because yesterday and today, we've had breaking news about NFL players being forced to isolate because of COVID protocols. 
Yesterday, it was the Patriots announcing that Cam Newton would miss five days following a, quote, misunderstanding about the COVID protocol. And then this morning, there was a report from Pat Leonard that Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis have been, quote, removed from facility and must undergo five-day re-entry process as close contacts to a member of team's training staff who tested positive for COVID-19, end quote. All right, so as I mentioned yesterday, Cam Newton has not said if he's been vaccinated, but the fact that he's in the protocol right now would indicate that he has not been vaccinated. You don't need the result of the protocol to know that Cole Beasley has not been vaccinated. He's told everyone who has ever been on Twitter. He's been very loud and very proud about that fact. And let me say this now. Being unvaccinated puts you and your team at a competitive disadvantage. It puts you at a competitive disadvantage in battling for a playing time or a starting spot. It puts your team at a competitive disadvantage because you're not around for at least five days. And it will put you at a competitive disadvantage in the regular season because you might miss a game. There is no debating this. If you're an NFL player, you can make a decision about whether or not you want to be vaccinated. It is your choice. It is your decision. However, if you choose to not be vaccinated, you are choosing to have a competitive disadvantage for yourself and your teammates. That is not subject to debate. That is just a fact. Like, you might not like that. You might not agree with that. But it is a fact. So if you're a player and you make that decision, you need to be good with that. You need to be good with that for yourself and for your teammates. When you're not there for five days or longer and your teammates have to go on without you, you need to be good with that because you put yourself and your team and your organization in that position. So when you're asked about whether or not you've been vaccinated and you say, that's private, You need to know that what you're saying is, I'm fine with sticking my teammates with a competitive disadvantage without me. Because this is not something that happens in a vacuum. I know it's a private decision. I get that. But it's a private decision with public ramifications. You're a member of a team. Your private decision may negatively impact all the work that they've done and the goals that they have. Like, if your team is trying to compete for a Super Bowl, wouldn't you do everything in your power to be there and help them and be available? Why would you do anything that would put your team at a competitive disadvantage? Like, how many times were we told that this is a league, I mean, the ultimate league, where teams and players are looking for every single edge that they can possibly find? A league where guys will play through crazy injuries and battle through unbelievable pain and do anything they can to get back on the field, to rejoin the fight, and to be there for their brothers. I mean, we hear this nonstop about this league. And yet you've got guys choosing to turn down this edge. And in fact, they're willing to hand that edge to another team that has a higher vaccination rate. You know, again, for who? For what? Oh, and risking that their brothers could get it as well. So, guys who are choosing to go unvaccinated know the deal. You know what happens if you're not vaccinated and you come into contact with somebody who tests positive. You know you're going to be out a minimum of five days. You also know you could get COVID yourself. And you know what happens if you're not vaccinated and there's, quote, a misunderstanding about the protocol. You could be out for a minimum of five days. In short, you're choosing all of this. And you're sending a message to the rest of the team when you make that choice. It tells them about your priorities and your focus. What's important to you and what's not important to you. So let's be really clear about that. Now in terms of Cam Newton, I want to be clear about this. From where I'm sitting, I think that Cam Newton has handled things in New England really well. 
He showed up last year in the middle of a pandemic without much of an offseason with new teammates and was voted a captain. That told me a lot. Then he went out and he played really well until he got COVID. And then things pretty much fell apart when he came back. He was not the same guy at all after testing positive. So then the team drafts a quarterback in the first round this year. The rookie plays well. The rookie generates good buzz. And all Cam has done is continue to publicly hype and help the youngster. He's been generous as hell with his praise for the guy who's there to take his job. I've also been really impressed with the way Cam has handled that. And then Cam goes out against Philadelphia last week and lights them up and pretty much locks down the starting job. I mean, this guy's good. He's good. Or at least he was until this misunderstanding with COVID protocol. Look, I don't know who's to blame for the, quote, misunderstanding about the protocol. I don't know if that's on the Pats. I don't know if that's on Cam. I just know that can't happen. I know that you cannot afford to have your starting quarterback out for five days for something like this. And I know that if Cam had been vaccinated, this would not be a topic. And while I don't know who to blame here, I do know of one report which says the organization is not happy with the way Cam handled this. Mike Girardi tweeted this morning, quote, Per sources, there is a level of frustration internally with the Cam Newton situation. One important member of the organization believes this has opened a window of opportunity for rookie Mac Jones. The team practices today and then with the New York Giants tomorrow before Newton can return, end quote. All right, so again, I'm not there. I don't know if this puts his job in jeopardy or not, or how bent members of the organization are with him or not for not getting vaccinated. But I know this. This much I do know, and I don't need to be there to know this. It's not helping his cause. It's not helping his case with the team. He had all but locked up that starting job before this went down. Just like I don't know how much Cole Beasley being out for five days is going to impact his role and what the reaction will be from his teammates. But I do know that missing that time does not help either guy. It doesn't help either team. And in a league where players constantly talk about the sacrifices they make for each other and how badly they want to win for the other 52 guys in that locker room, you'd think that that would matter. Now, I know a bunch of you are thinking, yeah, Rome, great. You're pro-vaccine, to which I respond, damn straight. Damn right I am. And if you're the quarterback of an NFL team, you should be too. Actually, if you play on an NFL team or root for an NFL team, you should be too. Because you know what? At this point, it's not about you. It's about all of us. As personal a decision as you would like to make that, it is much bigger than that. 1-800-636-8686. So if you want to get into that, let's go right ahead. And Cam had already tested positive. We knew this. And it was not the same when he came back. So uh, I'm not really sure how that misunderstanding can be. And Cole Beasley has made it very, very clear he's not vaccinated and is not going to. And now he's out five days. Here's some real talk for you. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. Keeps is offering a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. You do not have to leave your home. Plus, low-cost treatment starting at only 10 bucks per month and Keeps offers generic versions. Discreet packaging, proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to move on this quickly. 
If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome and get your first month for free. keeps.com slash Rome. All right, so ever since Drew Brees announced his retirement, there's been this quarterback battle, right, in New Orleans with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. The battle finally ended last night. Two totally different players, different guys, good battle, and it was pretty close until last night. Came to an end. Sean Payton was not going to say it after the game. I understand that, but he didn't need to. That job officially belongs to Jameis. If Jameis v. Taysom was a boxing match, which it was not, but if that was, what you'd want to see, right, is one guy knock the other guy the hell out. What you don't want to do is send it to the judges. You want both guys to play well, but you want one guy to be clearly better than the other. And last night, Jameis made that abundantly clear. He didn't just land that knockout blow. He sent Hill through the ropes and out of the ring. And honestly, it's got nothing to do with Hill not playing well. He wasn't bad. He just wasn't Jameis Winston. Winston was great. Now, I know all the reasons why you might be skeptical of Jameis Winston being a starter once again. Plenty of reasons, starting with that comical number of picks that he threw in 2019 when he became the founding member of the 30-30 club. Personally, I've always been absolutely amazed by that stat. I think it's an amazing stat, 30-30 in the NFL. You know, like back in the day, days when Eric Davis was in the 30-30 club, that was cool. Except Jameis Winston throwing 30 TDs and 30 picks in the same season is way better. I mean, that, that is an incredible stat. 30 picks in and of itself is an amazing stat. Do you know how inaccurate you have to be and how many bad decisions you have to make to throw 30 picks? Incredible. How poor you have to be at reading defenses. To throw 30 picks. But in the same season, throw 30 touchdowns. It's like probably my favorite season a quarterback's ever had. Of course, you got him run out of Tampa. But amazing nonetheless. So I could see where you might be skeptical. I could see where maybe you don't want him as your starter because of that. Or if not that, then maybe because of his truly atrocious pregame breakdowns. That's a W. That's E1. How he was able to rally anybody on his team with that, I, I have no idea. How many of you want to eat a W tonight? Yeah. How many people want to eat who, a w? who agreed with that? Who said, yeah, yeah, Jay, I do. He'll never live that down. And I know everybody wanted to clown him before last night's game for his mobility routine where he was windmilling his arm like he was warming up as a starting pitcher or a lead guitarist. And he took some heat for that too. And people wanted to jump him for that as well. But then he went out and he did this. Second and six. Winston will load up and throw it down the middle of the field. There is heavy contact on Callaway. And the flags come in. Wow. Touchdown, Marquez Callaway. I'll tell you what, I see that dime, and suddenly I'm looking to start windmilling my arms, and I'm even considering eating a W. In fact, I'm looking for a W to eat. Me? If you're going to throw a dime like that, I'll take one. I know it's an exhibition game. I know it's an exhibition game against the Jaguars, but that was a hell of a throw. Hell of a flex. And yes, a hell of a catch. And Marquez Callaway's looking like a stud when they need him to be. But that wasn't just a guy tossing the ball up and hoping his receiver would make a play. That was a perfect dime. And it was the Saints' longest pass in five years. You think maybe that didn't get Sean Payton's attention. I'm going to go ahead and say that it did. Except Jameis was not done. Neither was Callaway, because as good as that first TD was, the second one may have been even better. Alvin, roll it. Second down to nine. Winston under pressure, throwing for Callaway, and he's caught. Touchdown! Marquez Callaway, a second spectacular touchdown catch tonight. This is a great throw and catch. Channeling his wow. uh, Michael Thomas right Come there. Come on. And- 
I think I'll eat another W. Like that pass was not the bomb that the first one was, but he read the defense, checked into a new play, had a blitzer bearing down on him, and still put that ball in a perfect spot, practically on top of the front left pylon for Callaway. You know, and that's not me cherry-picking a couple of nice passes on a shaky night. There was nothing shaky about Jameis last night. 9 of 10, 123 yards, a couple of TDs, and a QBR of 157.5. I mean, the guy flat-out looked great. Even his incompletion was great because it was a check down on third and long. Back in the day, third and long, if it didn't result in a Jameis checkdown, and it wouldn't have, it would have resulted in Jameis forcing a pass and a pick and probably a pick six. Again, I'm never looking to stat head or go stat head on an exhibition game against the worst team in football last year, but that was a damn impressive performance. Those numbers would be good against air. And as good as that second TD throw was, the catch was even better. Last night was not just the night that Winston claimed that starting job. Last night was also the night that America was introduced to Marquez Callaway. That is, that part of America that was watching an exhibition game in August. So you see what he did last night, and now you know why Sean Payton raves about him. And not just the crazy receptions, but his attitude. Except the guy himself was not all that impressed with what he did. Playing receiver, you know, we're getting paid to catch. That's what we do, run routes and catch. So if it touches our hands, then we got to do what we can to come down. Whether that's an arm, a leg, um, two hands, one hand, we just got to come down with the ball no matter what. The coach is not going to hear that. I like that. I like that. You thought those catches were cool? Man, I'm just doing my job. Just doing my job. I'm a receiver. They throw the ball, I catch the ball. They throw the ball. If it touches my hand, I catch the ball. I run routes. Just doing my job. Except on that first TD, the official had already thrown a flag for defensive pass interference. And then on the second one, the official should have. But Callaway still came down with the ball. So here's the biggest thing to take away from last night's Saints game. They look like the Saints again. They look like the old school Saints taking deep shots, getting chunk plays, and having a good old time doing it. And yes, again, you got to take that whole thing with a grain of salt, given that it's an exhibition game, an exhibition game against the Jaguars, which is why I am not coming in here today and going all hot take with it in an attempt to get people to look at me and say something like, hey, man, the Jags look terrible. Urban Meyer is going to be a bust in the NFL This guy's got no shot. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying that I believe that. I'm just saying that if you're a Jags fan, you better hope the exhibition season is nothing like the regular season because they did not look good last night. I don't care what the final score was. They did not look good last night. That did not look like a situation where you get Trevor Lawrence, you bring in Herb, and suddenly you're in the battle for a playoff spot. Hell no. They look really sketchy, especially up front, especially on the offensive line. I mean, I would say that there were some big dudes on skates out there, but I'm not even sure that they were on skates. At least skates would enable you to move quickly. They looked slow. They looked awkward. Awkward. They looked overmatched. That was not good. Not good. That was below not good. Below not good. But again. I'm not going to make too much out of it. A few ugly quarters in prime time does not mean that Herb is going to get sick again and then show everybody some contract that he drew up with his family, promising a balanced life, and then bail for USC tomorrow. Too easy. Too lazy a take. And that's not what that means. You know, one game, one exhibition game. But I'll tell you what last night does mean. Last night does mean that Jameis Winston is the Saints starting quarterback, even if Sean Payton is not ready to say so publicly. He doesn't need to. We already know. The quarterbacks there already know. The team already knows. Just as we know, it's time to go eat a W. How many people want to eat a W tonight? You know what? I think I do, Jameis. I think I would. Oh, and fantasy honks. It's Alvy season. Sorry, fantasy honks.
It looks like you will not be getting Winston or Callaway on the cheap in your drafts. How many of you last night before the game were like, hey, man, I got my guy Callaway. Nobody knows about him. Michael Thomas is down. Trust me. James can throw the deep ball. Nobody will know. I will be so smart. Yeah, well, everybody knows now. If your league buddies didn't see it last night, they are watching the highlights on a loop this morning. If they're not doing that, they're listening to me this morning, and then they're going to find it. And if you want more of that, Ian Rappaport tweeted this. Running back, Travis Etienne, spotted on crutches after the game, suffered a Liz Frank injury. He'll have further tests today, a source said. X-rays were negative, so the belief is it's just a sprain. Exams today will determine how long he's out. End of quote. If I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, although if I am, it'll probably be the first time. Didn't Andrew Bogus say that he's out indefinitely in that last update? I thought that's what I heard. This much I do know. Sucks for Herb, losing their other first-round draft pick. But good for James Robinson, who should get more touches. But notice it is Alvy season. And the fancy alerts are coming in fast and furious. It can happen so easily. You're out with a few friends or co-workers. You're putting back a few drinks. A few then becomes a few too many. It's time to go. And then for a moment, you think of calling a ride. It's time to go, and for a moment, you think of calling for a ride and then think, nah, you're a good driver. You live nearby. You can make it home fine. What are the odds you'll get pulled over? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Play it safe, plan ahead, and get a ride. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. John Morosi is my guest. Good to have you back, John. How are you? Jim, my friend, always enjoy the conversations, and I'll be uh, staying tuned later this hour for your conversation with Aaron. You always have great interviews with Aaron Rodgers. I appreciate you saying that, John. Thank you so much, and great to have you back. Now, of course, you grew up in Michigan. You covered the Tigers for the Detroit Free Press back in the day, so I want to ask you about Miguel Cabrera hitting his 500th home run first. That happened on Sunday. What was your reaction when he finally did reach that milestone? I think everybody, Jim, that's watched him play uh, had a smile, had a reflection, and, and just the the duration of his greatness, how long he has been a preeminent hitter in this sport, uh, to see it uh, culminate with that number, only 28 players in the history of the game, Jim, have done that. There have only been 28 days like Sunday in the entire history of Major League Baseball. Let's think about that for a second. More than a century of our national pastime, and, and that was one of 28 days like that. So just extraordinary, and I think it was fitting that it was a home run to right center field, which is the patented swing that we've seen from Miguel for so long. And I'll share this story about Miguel as well, that he, he has always been so proud about being in the lineup every day. He played almost 2,000 games, Jim, in the Major Leagues before he spent a day on the injured list, nearly 2,000 games. His 13th year was the first time he went on the IL. That is remarkable in terms of the consistency and being there every single day. And I remember there was one year where it was August, around this time, and he was, he was battling an injury. It was a couple of years before he went on the IL for the first time, and I remember asking him in the clubhouse, hey, Miguel, how hard is it to maybe have to face going on the IL for the first time? And he laughed. He said, hey, we've got September roster expansion I don't have to go on the IL right now. I'll, I'll be able to not have to do, to do that. He really wanted to have that pride of never going on the IL. And, of course, with the September roster expansion, he didn't have to. And that just shows you how well he thinks the game. He was aware of that. He knew it was coming and, and was really proud about never going on the IL. So he's just someone that has really loved the game. He talks about the game. And, then Jim, I'll say this, too, a photographic memory. He's hit now 500 home runs. I can promise you he can give you a snapshot 500 different snapshots, every home run. He's got that memory, an incredible memory, an incredible player, and a great hitter, uh, now an all-time great. And an amazing career. We are talking to John Morosi. John, I mentioned that MLB Network has got the Mariners and the A's today, followed by the Yankees and the Braves. The Yankees, John, have now won 10 straight since they lost to the White Sox in Iowa. What do you make of how they've turned this around and the way they're playing right now? 
Well, that's a great point, Jim. Of course, they have not lost a game since that baseball disappeared over the into the cornfield off Tim Anderson's bat. And the Yankees, I give a lot of credit right now to their bullpen. They were a team that had some uh, bullpen issues. Obviously, Zach Britton blew the save in that game in, in Dyersville. But since then, they've had five different relievers record saves for them. And none of them have been named Chapman or Britton. So they've had a really unique cast come together and give them consistency. Meanwhile, for as much as we've talked about the, the trade deadline moves they've made, uh, adding Rizzo and Gallo, it's been Stanton. It's been Judge. Their, their mainstay players who have had injuries happen the last couple of years have really been consistent of late. And they now have a really well-balanced, thick middle part of the lineup that you're supposed to know the Yankees for. This is what they're supposed to have. They're supposed to have incredible power hitters, both sides of the plate, who are just formidable to go through, and they finally have this. So it's, I think it's great for the Yankees, obviously great for baseball to see this team back in, in the forefront of the conversation. And at this moment, Jim, the Yankees have the best record in the game since the trade deadline, 18-4. and four. They have been almost unbeatable. They've been the best team in the game in the month of August, and it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this AL East race down the stretch. The Rays, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays, if they can find a way to stay in this thing because it's been tough for Toronto here the last couple of weeks. John Morosi, my guest. John, I was going to go there next. As well as New York is playing right now, there's still four back at Tampa Bay. Do the Yankees have enough to run down the Rays, or is that still Tampa Bay's division? I think the Yankees have enough to run them down. I really believe that. I think, it, to me, if I'm going to look at it candidly, I know I mentioned the Red Sox uh, as part of that three-team race. I do think the champion of this division is going to be either the Rays or the Yankees. And I think the Yankees have plenty of time and, and plenty of firepower to chase them down. The Rays, I, I think this is where I look at the way Tampa's built their club. What's, what's different about Tampa this year to last year is their lineup is substantially better. Now, the pitching isn't quite as dominant. They've lost Snell. They've lost Morton. Glass now is injured. It's a totally different rotation. But the, the Tampa lineup is better. And so I, I think the Yankees certainly have enough to power to run them down and they have a very good chance to do so. But it's going to be interesting to see if those two teams match up in a playoff series if, if let's say, the Yankees win the wild card and win that wild card game and match up against Tampa in the first round, um, how, that, how that plays out. That's going to be a really interesting series, much different than when they matched up last year. So I think it's going to be a great race to the finish. The Yankees, to me, they have enough firepower to catch them. And I'm a little bit worried about the Rays' rotation. So I, I, if I'm a Yankee fan right now, I'm feeling really good about where the Yankees' chances are to to finally win this division and, and force the defending AL champion Rays into a wild card spot. I get it. John Morosi is joining us. All right, John, what about the San Diego Padres? They're a game back of the Reds for the second wild card spot. I'm curious, what do you make of how San Diego's season has gone? Well, Jim, it's a great point and obviously a timely one because they just dismissed their pitching coach yesterday, Larry Rothschild, replacing him with Ben Fritz. And, and they now have to really work on their pitching staff down the stretch. Jace Tingler said yesterday the, the decision to fire Rothschild was totally his. He had consulted with A.J. Preller a lot in the last 10 days or so before making that decision. But the Padres, Jim, they just have not been consistent enough with their pitching. Blake Snell has been a disappointment, and Darvish has dealt with injuries. And you look at Clevenger's missed the entire season. Denelson Lomet has not been able to deliver the innings they expected. So it's been an inconsistent pitching group for them this season. They needed to find a different voice for the final 30-plus games of the year. Is this a panic move? You could call it that because they have really underwhelmed relative to expectations, whereas the Giants have far surpassed those expectations. And you mentioned right now where they are relative to the, to the Reds, where the Padres are. I think this wild card game is going to include the Cincinnati Reds and then the Giants or the Dodgers. I, I really expect the Padres to fall out of this thing. They've got almost no momentum right now. They had a disappointing trade deadline. I referenced how the deadline and the, the Yankees moves really gave them new life. The Padres thought, Jim, they were going to wind up with Max Scherzer and or Joey Gallo and got neither of them. And they've never been the same team since. They're 8-12 and 12 since the deadline, a negative run differential since the deadline. They really have struggled. So, Jim, I, I, I think the Padres, what we were billing this year as the great Dodger-Padre race, it's just not going to happen. I think the Padres are going to miss the playoffs, and the Cincinnati Reds, Vladimir Gutierrez has been very good for them of late, as has Luis Castillo with Joey Votto having a resurgence. The Cincinnati Reds, Jim, 
make the playoffs ahead of the Padres. It's amazing, right? And it's not in any way unfair. Everything you just said, I think, has merit. I agree with that. I mean, the expectation, John, coming in was that the NL West, and indeed the entire NL, was probably going to come down to a battle between the Dodgers and Padres. You and I had spoken about that in the past. What about the Giants, though? The Giants have the best record in the division and in all of baseball. Just how good is this team? Well, they're really good. Now, the, the question is, will they be better than the Dodgers ultimately? And I still think the Dodgers have a better chance to win the National League than the Giants do. I think the Dodgers have the better club. But the Giants are a great team because they've had resurgent performances from a lot of their mainstays, Posey, Crawford, Belt, uh, and they've had some younger players come in as well. Yastrzemski's had some good moments. Uh, he's had some injuries this year as well, but he has really played well for them in the outfield this season. And they've made the right moves, of course, bringing Chris Bryant in. Bryant was exactly the player they needed, and maybe they find a way to keep him long-term. He just looks so comfortable playing in San Francisco right now. And then their their pitching staff, Kevin Gossman has been great on a one-year short-term deal. Alex Wood, the same thing. Di Sclafani's been very good. The bullpen has been sort of a, a, a collective effort where they don't have that, that big-name closer, but they've been able to mix and match and really have success with a lot of different pitchers in very good roles. So you've got to credit Gabe Kapler with the way that he's managed this club. And, and you, you now know, I think there's one thing you love about this, if you're a Giants fan, you have some name-brand guys who have been there before. Posey has got rings. Crawford has got rings. Belt has got rings. Uh, has got rings. Bryant has the ring from, from Chicago. You've got a lot of players with know-how. Alex Wood got a ring with the Dodgers. You have got some players who understand how to win in October. And so while a lot of pundits, I guess myself included, think the Dodgers overall still have the better roster, the Giants are a club that I think people are going to hear from in, in October. And if, and if people are dismissing them and saying, well, it's just a good start, sort of a fluky, good first half, no. They've been great all season long and deserve a lot more respect than I think a lot of people have been given the San Francisco Giants this season. Oh, hell yes. That's not a good start. That's a really good team. John Morosi exactly. is joining us. John, what about the Dodgers? They've used a franchise record 37 pitchers this year, 22 of them who've pitched for them this year, did not pitch for them last year. 13 of them were not even in the organization at the start of the season. I mean, it's amazing. What do you make of how the team and the organization has managed and juggled all of that? Well, it's a great point, Jim, about how adaptable they are, and you've got to credit Andrew Friedman and his group at the front office, and then Will Rimes on the player development side and what they've been able to do, because I saw them play in person in New York over a couple couple days in a row last weekend or two weekends ago, and their adaptability in their bullpen is extraordinary. Corey Knable, they brought him over from the Brewers in a trade, a very savvy move. Alex Vasia has been great for them from the left side. He is a he has become a trusted guy late in games, and, and he was someone that just came up through the system and really developed. You've just got to credit when a, when a team has the resources of the Dodgers uh, and they can pay elite closers like Kenley Jansen, but then also have room to also pay and develop and take chances on the Blake Trinans and the Corey Canables. Yeah, they were patient with Gratterall. He has come back and pitched well. Vesia has been really good. They're able to make the move for Max Scherzer. It's a really great story. And then David Price. David Price, let's not forget, he is a Cy Young Award winner. In the past, he started out of the bullpen, and his buy-in is so strong that you didn't hear a single word from him of complaint about starting in the bullpen. And he starts in the bullpen, now he's starting games more recently. Uh, Scherzer comes in. Trey Turner comes in at the deadline as a position player, of course. Albert Pools. And when I asked Albert Pools about this team, Jim, about how unique they are, he, he said to me in as many words, I've never been on a team with, with this amount of accomplishment on it top to bottom. Mm-hmm. You think about Pools and the MVPs. He has won. Kershaw and his MVPs and the Cy Youngs, of course. Uh, Seeger, a World Series MVP. Betts, an MVP. Bellinger, an MVP. Max Muncy might be an MVP someday. Trey Turner might be an MVP this year. So there's just a lot of players, Jim, who are superstars with selfless personalities. And when you're on a team with that kind of talent and that kind of 
collective thinking and, and looking out for your teammates and what's best for the group, man, it's a special thing to watch, Jim, and, and the Dodgers have that going this season again. John Morosi doing what he does. John, one last thought. I want to ask you because, well, we always talk about this, but you and I have talked over the course of the year about Shohei Otani, and every time there's something new to talk about, he's yeah. hit 40 home runs. He's got an ERA of 279. He's one stolen base away, John, from joining the 40-20 club this year. When you watch him, what is the thing at this point that stands out to you the most about him? So it's a great question, Jim, and I'd say this. I was, uh, so I was at the game on Sunday, the Little League Classic in Williamsport, so I saw him up close again there, and, and I'm struck by his physicality. And by that I mean he is a great base runner, as you witnessed with the 20 stolen bases he's coming up on, and, and he is so fleet of foot and so darn athletic. He, he reminds me, he moves like an NBA forward, Jim. It, it is fun to watch his athleticism in person. He is all over the place. If you, if you put a basketball in his hands and put him in the gym for six months, he'd come out and he'd be able to play in the league. I really believe that. He just is that gifted as an athlete. So I, I really love being in the presence and watching incredible athletes who you can tell are adaptable and do different things. And Shohei Otani, as we know, he's on the mound, brilliant. He's on the bases, power. Uh, the, the night in Detroit uh, last week where he gets his 40th home run and throws eight it, shutout innings. I mean, Jim, this is stuff that we've not seen before. He is an extraordinary talent. He, he is not even someone that we should compare to Babe Ruth because he is setting a standard that is apart from Ruth and stuff that Ruth never did. And he's doing it now, Jim, at a time where the game is more competitive and more global than ever. It is a thing of beauty, and I was so lucky to watch him play on Sunday night. Oh, he's blown right by the babe. John, really quickly, you mentioned Williamsport, and I know you're not looking to make it about you, but we've talked in the past about the work you've done in learning Spanish, and you were at it again on Sunday, interviewing players in Spanish after the game in Williamsport. What was that particular experience like for you? Well, Jim, thanks for asking. It was great. And Ahmed Rosario, the credit goes to him. Uh, I, I share with him before the interview that, that, I, w- that I would try my best and, and do my best Spanish. And he knows, of course, it's not my first language. But I, I believe, Jim, in, in, our, in our profession and in broadcasting, as we look to, to connect our viewers, our listeners, our readers to the sport, uh, it's important that we speak the languages that the athletes speak and connect with them because uh, I'm only as good of a storyteller as I can be if I connect with the people that I'm interviewing. And so I believe it strongly that, that speaking Spanish is, is an occupational necessity for me. It's also important in my family. My wife is Mexican-American. I want my daughters to speak the language as well. So it's just something I believe really strongly in. And, and I also believe very strongly in being okay with making mistakes. And I make a mistake every time I, I speak Spanish, uh, but the players are unfailingly gracious, Jim, and patient and encouraging, and I'm, I'm really blessed that they've been my best teachers. So full credit to the players who have taught me the language uh, and, and shared their culture with me. And, and so in those moments when we're on the air together, I, I just want to do my best of, uh, to communicate their story, and I hope it comes across, and my appreciation for what they do and, and their time they share with us. I appreciate that, too. Much respect, John. He is an MLB Network insider, NHL Network as well. Remember, you can watch John across the MLB Network studio programming. MLB Network's got the Mariners and the A's today, 3.30 p.m. Eastern, and then you've got the Yankees and Braves after that at 7 Eastern. Great to have you back, John. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Jim, always enjoy the conversations, my friend, and I uh, can't wait to hear your conversation with Aaron coming up. It's going to be a lot, of one, a lot of fun. Sonny Dykes is my guest. Sonny, good to have you back. How are you? Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Always good to have you. Appreciate you doing this. So give me an idea. What is the vibe like around the team right about now with the season opener fast approaching? How are things there? You know what? We feel good about, uh, about our football team this year. We really do. We've got a lot of guys back. We have 12 super seniors coming back, so a lot of guys that have played. Um, a ton of football for us through the years. I uh, have an experienced group. You know, I think the thing we're most excited about is our improvement that we've made on defense. You know, we went out in the offseason and hired Jim Levitt to come be our defensive coordinator, and Jim's one of the best defensive coaches in college football. So really excited to get Jim. He's made a big difference for us. And, you know, for us to kind of take that next step as a program, we have to do it defensively. And I really like what I've seen so far, and we're excited to go play in a week and a half. Sonny Dykes joining us. All right, so you got a lot of positive things on the defensive side of the ball. And you've had a couple of really good seasons. As strong as they've been, you talked about the fact that maybe the depth has not been what you would have liked. So how would you describe the depth and talent on the roster as you get ready to enter this season? 
Well, it's a lot different than it has been. You know, we uh, we were a 10-win team a couple of years ago and, and really honestly did that with a lot of smoke and mirrors. You know, I think we were at one point, uh, you know, 10-1 and one and, and lost our last two ball games and just started to, to run out of players down the stretch. And so, you know, it's college football roster management is now so important with the transfer portal and all the stuff that's going on these days. You know, the bottom third of your roster is really, really important. And, and at that stage of our program, we were not very good on the bottom third. You know, right now we are. We've gotten so much better. It's, it's a team that's got a lot of depth, a ton of competition for, spart, for uh, spots. You know, guys that have been starters for a number of years are having to hold off young players or transfers. And so, you know, that kind of competition, that kind of depth has created a great atmosphere for us. And our guys have really enjoyed the competitive nature of our, of our practices. And so, you know, that part's much improved, and, you know, it needs to be. We haven't fared well in November of the last two years, and, and we need to be able to finish strong, and that's going to be the beef of our schedule uh, at that time of the year as well. So that's going to be very important to us, and that's the next step for our program. As yeah, Sam, you head football coach, Sonny Dykes, joining me once again. You know, you mentioned the transfer portal. The fact is you have had a lot of success in the transfer portal. You have netted more players coming in as opposed to guys leaving in the portal. So how do you go about getting the new guys up to speed and understanding the culture of the program as quickly as possible? Well, that's, that's so critical. I mean, it is, you know, the thing that we have to do is, is try to maintain our culture. That's probably the strength of our program. It's just, uh, the, you know, and everybody says that and everybody, you know, talks about culture and it's probably the most overused word now in athletics, but, but there is something to it. And again, it's, it's a cliche because it is, uh, it's important and it's true. Um, what we've had to do is we've had to be very selective about the transfers that we take. You know, we've had to manage our roster. We weren't going to sacrifice you know, short-term success for for long-term uh, success of our program. So we've had to, you know, we've had to make some tough decisions. We've been very selective and, and very thoughtful about the, the transfers that we've added. Uh, we were fortunate in year one to add Reggie Robertson, who's gone on to become one of the, the top players in college football. He's just in, in um, you know, ESPN's top 100 players in college football, that list. And Reggie transferred to us from West Virginia and has been a great player for us. And he came in, had a lot of success, and then, the next guy that, that opened everybody's eyes was Shane Bouchel coming over from Texas. And, you know, Shane had two great years for us as a starting quarterback. And that just encouraged more guys, especially guys from the DFW area that went off to college someplace and didn't have the experience they thought they were going to have to come home and, you know, to come to SMU, get a fantastic degree, go to a great school and, and have a chance to play in a top-20 program and win conference championships. We're talking SMU football with head coach Sonny Dykes. Sonny, I was going to ask you about both those guys, actually. You and I have talked in the past about Shane Bouchel and what he's meant to the program in terms of both performance and leadership. He's with Kansas City now. How do you go about replacing both that performance and his leadership? Well, it's, it's not easy to do. I mean, the thing that Shane had, uh, he had a lot of experience. You know, he had started at the University of Texas as a true freshman and, and – um, you know, so he had a lot of in-game experience. You know, we just took a transfer quarterback from Oklahoma, a young man named Tanner Mordecai, who uh, was a really heavily recruited player out of Waco Midway High School just down the road. And um, and Tanner has come in is competing for our starting job right now. You know, the good thing about Tanner, Tanner played in some college football games last year, you know, led Oklahoma on a couple of really nice drives against Texas, uh, you know, last year. And, and when Spencer Rather got, got a little rattled in the game, maybe, and and so he's, he's had experience. He's played well. Um, he's obviously been in a very good system there at Oklahoma. You know, Lincoln Riley's obviously the head coach at Oklahoma. His brother Garrett is our offensive coordinator, and so there's a lot of similarities between the two, um, the two offenses and the style of play, uh, terminology, the whole thing. And so Tanner has come in here. He's a very talented guy. Uh, he gives us a little bit different dimension. He's very fast. He can run the football well, and so – He's a little bit different quarterback than we've had in the past, but he's competing against a young guy, Preston Stone now. It's really impressive. Very heavily recruited kid out of, out of the Dallas area. And also Derek Green, a kid that's got a lot of experience. So, you know, we feel good about that position, but until they actually do it, uh, we're not sure. And that's that's really what we lost from, from Shane. You know, Shane was such a good player and such a steady player. And, you know, the thing that he did, too, is he brought a, a steadiness and a, and a lot of confidence to our program. And so whoever wins that job is going to need to do the same thing. Sonny Dykes is joining us. You know, Sonny, we're talking about players and we're talking about recruiting. From a recruiting standpoint, we've talked about the goal of being, quote, the U in Dallas. I mean, you're pulling in some big, big recruits. You're doing well in the portal. Does it feel like that vision is starting to become a reality? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think when you, again, when you look at our roster and just you see how much how much better it is, really from top to bottom, and we're starting to to have some real depth. You know, if you if you follow us the last two years, you know Reggie Robertson's been an impact receiver for us, and he's been injured both years. And both years, we didn't lose a game that he started. And and when he went down, you know, we had to replace him with some guys that weren't quite ready yet. Well, the good thing is now, when somebody goes down and has to miss a game or two or whatever. We're replacing them with somebody who's close to the same as they are, and so as as your roster gets better, then then you know you have an ability to survive injuries and that kind of thing. So we feel like we're we're making steps in the right direction. You know, we have a great league. Cincinnati's obviously a very very good football team. You know, Houston's going to be much improved. Central Florida is going to be a top twenty five type football team. Memphis is really good. So when you look around our league, there's a lot of really good football teams, and and we want to be at that level and, and in that class. And we're going to have to continue to recruit well and, and develop our guys if we're going to get there. I was going to ask you about the conference, but you mentioned Reggie again. I wanted to ask you about him. He's one of the best wide receivers in the country. And as you mentioned, he was a little bit banged up. But you have not lost a game that he has started in the last two seasons. What is it about him that makes him so good and so unique? Well, he's just been our big play guy. I mean, he's been a guy that, is, is, you know, if you have third and three, you can throw the ball to, or third and four, he's going to make the play for you, uh, competitive type play. But he's also a big play, uh, big play receiver, and has made a lot of big plays down the field for us. And, you know, he's a guy that really not many people can single cover. And so when he's out there, you know, and they don't play somebody over the top, then it opens, uh, you know, it opens other options for you if there's not two people, you know, somebody down over him a hard corner and somebody playing over the top and, you know, there's going to be numbers someplace else. And so he's really allowed us to, to simplify some of the things that we do. And, and when we get in those one-on-one situations, he's a guy that we can count on to make plays and make them in big games against good people. And he's done that consistently. So when he's been out the last two years, we haven't been the same offense and, and just that big play element and that consistency and that competitive um, the way that he plays makes him different. So, Sonny, a couple of things before I let you go. You mentioned the conference, and there's some tough matchups. You've got Memphis, UCF, Cincinnati, Tulsa. There's also been a lot of talk about conference realignment, as you know. Given the situation with Oklahoma and Texas, what's your reaction when you first heard the news about them, and does it feel like maybe there might be an opportunity for this program when it comes to potentially moving around? Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning, I think that, that we're, first of all, we're happy with our league. I mean, the American has been a very, very good league. Um, if you just look at the analytics, you know, it's it's finished in front of Power 5 leagues, uh, I think, three of the last five years, and certainly certain parts of leagues. So it's a, it's, it's a good conference. It's a conference that's very, very competitive. Um, you know, when you look at these teams, I mean, look at the success Central Florida's had in big ball games you know, through the years when they're playing on New Year's Day against Power 5 people. And same thing can be said with Cincinnati. I mean, when you looked at that game last year, Cincinnati and Georgia, you know, there wasn't that much difference. I mean, there was you said, well, Cincinnati belongs on the field with these guys. And so I think our league is very undervalued. Um, but at the same time, everybody's always trying to improve, you know, their lot. And, and the good thing is our league is in a position of power, and I really truly believe that we'll have some opportunities to add some teams. Uh, that can really help move the needle uh, for the American. And, you know, that's my hope is that we're able to, to add some teams that can continue to make the league better and better and more competitive and, and give it a better uh, national reputation. Sonny Dykes, my guest. Sonny, one last topic, if you don't mind. Earlier in camp, you had Kim and Mark Holinsky speak to the team about their son, the late Tyler Holinsky, and mental health. Why was that something that was so important to you? And what did you want your team to take away from that conversation? Well, you know, I think as football coaches and as athletes, um, you know, we've always talked about, you know, physical health and, you know, the importance of nutrition and the importance of weightlifting and the importance of, of you know, all the different things that we, we preach to our players, you know, getting good sleep. But the mental health, I think, is probably the most important aspect of all of those and the one that, for some reason, we've overlooked. Um, you know, I do think that that, in our world today especially, uh, it's so important. There's so much going on. There's so much to be anxious about with young people. And, and so what we have to do is we have to, number one, create a, a culture where our guys can talk about these kind of issues, where they can, you know, if they need help, they can come ask us for help. They can come ask a teammate for help. Um, and then also, too, that we start to pay attention to these things and that we as coaches and us as a program start to do everything that we can to help them develop their mental health 
and help them become more apt to, to deal with issues that they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so, you know, we want to try to take care of every aspect of our student-athletes and, and our players. Um, and I think mental health really should be at the forefront of those things. And for whatever reason, you know, we, we've missed that opportunity in college football and college athletics through the years. And so we've got to try to do everything we can to rectify that and remedy it. And we're, we're, we're trying to get as creative as we can to help our players deal with all the the different issues that they face. It's so critical and such an important message. Good for you. He's the head football coach at SMU, entering his fourth season there. The season opener is against Abilene Christian on September 4th. He is Sonny Dykes. Sonny, I appreciate the conversation. Great to have you back. Thanks for making time for us today, and I always enjoy it. Yeah, Jim, thanks for having me on. Always, always enjoy coming on. Appreciate it. Let's go to Southeast Wisco. Chris, what's going on, Chris? How are you? I'm good, Jim. How about yourself, dude? Great, dude. Great. Hey, man, I just wanted to touch on something real quick as the pro football season is right around the corner. Admittedly, the NFL preseason has never been must-watch sports TV, but what is increasingly becoming a terrible look for dictator Goodell and company is the blizzard of video footage displaying all these disgusting, corn-fed jack wagons throwing hands in the bleachers in the middle of every single game. It disgusts me, Jim. You have a mixture of beer, stadium junk food, and condiments getting sprayed all over the crowd as these bags proceed to engage in full-blown fisters, ripping off each other's fan guide jerseys, leading to the horrifying sight of gigantic, disgusting beer guts bouncing around, risking the safety of some poor family sitting nearby. Then in the aftermath... These tomato red-faced drunken slobs are grasping for air like they're on the verge of having a grabber. I wonder, was it worth it to these asshats? As security guards usher them out of the stadium with a trip to jail and a $700 fine as parting gifts. I say ban these bastards for life. Most of, them just, most of us just want to watch football, Jim. Or Tom D. Always coming straight to work in the clothes he wore to the club last night. That's a badass look, man. An unwar townies in northern Wisco that believe only they belong in God's country because of ownership of some crappy, dilapidated shack that has been in their family for 20 generations. They don't own our great Badger State. Everybody is welcome in Wisco, Jim, which includes Eagle River. You already know, brother. But for the rest, in case they haven't heard, it's a dynasty, clones. Go ahead and rack him. Good night now!